Well, I'd like to invite all of our kiddos who are ages three through third grade or so to follow Miss Sarah out to the Narthex for kid time. You can head on there for some fun activities. Fantastic. Well, I have a question for y'all who are remaining. How many of you growing up ever watched Sesame Street? You probably think I should have left the kids in for this part, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, so I did too. It was not my favorite show, but I do remember certain parts of it. And one of the parts that I remember was the game, Which One Doesn't Belong? You remember it had the, the song, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things doesn't belong. And, and the goal of the game is you had to figure out which thing didn't belong by the time the song ended. I thought maybe we could play a few rounds of that uh, here this, this morning, but without, without the song, so I'm not going to sing it for you. So first one up, here we go. We've got, okay, never mind. <laughs> There we go. We've got sleeping bag, tent, campfire, or cake. Which one doesn't belong? Cake. Okay, good. Very good. All right, next. This one's a little bit harder. Uh, unicorn, vampire bat, cyclops, or dragon? Vampire bat. Yes, that's the one that is a thing. Uh, I have a... Yeah, anyway. And then here's the hardest one. This is for you uh, adults out there who think you're too good for this game. Uh, Fork, spoon, knife, screwdriver, axe. I heard, I heard a lot of spoons, and that's the correct answer, because that's the only one that doesn't have a sharp edge. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Uh, anyway, today we are not talking about this. Instead, we are, we are looking uh, at one of our other paintings and like I said, we're breaking the timeline. So today we are talking about the baptism of Jesus. And a reason why we play the game, uh, which one doesn't belong, is because here in the picture, there's something that doesn't belong. No, don't, 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 don't try to guess it, because it's Jesus. He doesn't belong in this scene. Because Jesus is perfect and holy, and he's standing in the midst of sinners. And he's receiving a baptism that was for the remission of sins. And today we're going to look at why Jesus needed to be baptized. And how that serves as a great comfort to us. And how it points us to our own baptisms as well. But first, let's set the scene of what was happening at this point in the gospel story. Okay, so John the Baptist has been doing his work of preparing the way for the Christ. He's been in the wilderness preaching the law and baptizing people in the Jordan River. If you remember all the way back to Advent, we talked about John's message that we are not good enough on our own, but that we need a Savior. And throughout John's ministry, we see all kinds of people coming to him and receiving that message. They acknowledge their sin. They acknowledge their need. And John offers them this baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And these sinners, they came to the waters of the Jordan and they were washed. And they would leave their sins there in the water. And they were exhorted and encouraged to live better lives. Clearly, this was a baptism that was for sinners. 
a washing that didn't remove dirt from the body, but sin from the heart and darkness from the soul. So sinners from everywhere came to be washed and cleansed. But one of these people was not like the other. One of these people didn't belong. Because out of the crowd of sinners, Jesus stepped forward and asked to be baptized, which is incredibly strange because Jesus had nothing to repent of. He was without sin. He had no need for forgiveness, remission of sins, or pardon. He was complete. He was perfect. He was whole. He was without blemish. John himself called him the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who would take away the sins of the world. And if baptism is for sinners, well, then Jesus had no need of it because he wasn't one. And right away, we see this continuation of God's revelation of love. Okay, so follow me here. It goes from Christmas. Except at Christmas, we know that God takes on flesh in Jesus Christ, right? He becomes God incarnate. He becomes God with us, right? God with humanity. And then at Epiphany, we learn that Jesus doesn't just come for one nation. He comes for all nations. He's not just God with some humanity. He's God with all kinds of humanity, And then, today, as we look at the baptism of Jesus, we see that him standing in the midst of sinners and going through what we go through. He's God with sinful humanity. And so we see this this expansion of the gospel. It goes from the the righteous Jews like Mary, who who is highly favored, to righteous Gentiles like the wise men and follow him to worship, and now to unrighteous people to outcasts and swindlers and oppressors, to you and to me. He is God with us. He's the God who was not like us, but who became like us so that we could become like him. Now, all of this was beyond John's comprehension. He knew that his baptism was one of preparation for the Savior, not one needed by the Savior, And so when Jesus stepped forward to be baptized, John tried to prevent it, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And that's the way we think it should go, right? The the greater should baptize the lesser. The, The sinless one should baptize the sinner. And that's the way it would be, but not this time. Because over and against John's objections, Jesus gives us the reason. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And really, that line is the key to understanding why Jesus needed to be baptized. It was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And this happens in in two different ways, but they're both important. First, in being baptized, Jesus would fulfill God's word of prophecy in the Old Testament. It would harken back and connect to various different scenes and narratives of the Old Testament. And for example, I'll only give you one of them. Uh, it's really vital that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. Like that's a, that's a very particular geographic place that it was important for him to be baptized in. Why? Well, because throughout the Old Testament, the Jordan River is this place of transition for Israel. We read about it in our first reading when we heard about them, the Israelites, going from the wilderness, right? They're 40 years of the wilderness and then transferring, transitioning into the promised land. They cross the Jordan, 
right? And the first thing that went into the Jordan was the Ark of the Covenant, making a way for the people. And now we have Jesus who comes to bring us out of the dry and barren past of sin and into the future of a new and living hope. And he is the Ark of the Covenant, the incarnate throne of God who enters into the water to make way for us. Jesus brings us into the promised kingdom of his Father, flowing with milk of mercy and in the honey of life. He brings God's righteous word to reality by making good on God's promises. Now, that's the first way, right? Jesus' baptism fulfilled righteousness in fulfilling God's word, right? He showed us again that God's word, God is true to his word. He's faithful and that all of Scripture is a unified story, all, point, all part of God's plan of salvation from the very beginning. And the second way that, that Jesus' baptism fulfills righteousness is that in it, he accomplishes righteousness for us. Because in this scene, we see Jesus begin to take on the sins of the world so that he could carry them to the cross and bury them in his tomb. He doesn't come into the waters covered in sin, he leaves that way. He takes on your sin and mine, though he himself did nothing wrong. Now hear me clearly, Jesus is still the perfect lamb of sacrifice, but he carries our guilt. Think about it like washing dishes. You fill the sink with clean water, and then you start putting all these grimy plates and pots and pans in there, and you start to clean them. And what happens to the dishes? Well, they get clean, right? They come out clean, but the what happens to the water? Well, it gets disgusting, filthy, right? At some point, you end up having just to, to dump the rest of the water and start over again. And what would happen if you put a clean plate into that filthy water? Well, the, the plate would get dirty. And so now remember the scene that we were just at. John the Baptist has been baptizing sinners left and right in the waters of the Jordan. And they leave cleansed. And now this river is metaphorically filthy with sin. And so Jesus, in his perfection, in his blamelessness, he comes into those waters for the express purpose of taking on our sin and guilt. Jesus became like a sponge, soaking up our wrongdoings. You see, to fulfill all righteousness, he became our unrighteousness. He became all the bad we are so that we might become all the good he is. Jesus died on the cross because he was baptized. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Absorbing a world saturated with hatred and lies and lusts and murders and all that we do wrong. And he carried it all to the cross. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, that is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners. He said this. He said, wherein by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of, of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself, that he might deliver us from them. See, this is one of the truths of Scripture that we often overlook, even though it's right there in front of us. And that's that Jesus came looking for sin. 
Jesus identified himself with sinners. He identified himself as the sinner, the one who would, who would, who, upon who, <clears throat> the one on whom all sin would rest, the one on whom all of God's judgment would rest, the one who would stand in the place of sinful people like us, both in terms of his sacrifice on the cross and his suffering our judgment, as well as fulfilling all righteousness by, by keeping God's law. Now, do you see that this baptism of Jesus is filled with great comfort for us? Because Jesus came for you and for me. And he came to take away our sin. And he paid for it on the cross. And he brings us life through his resurrection. But not only that. This scene also introduces us to the concept of our own baptisms. See, John was clear that the baptism he offered was merely a preparation, right? It, it pointed instead, he pointed instead to a greater baptism that, that Jesus would introduce. And while that gift of, of holy baptism is fully revealed at the cross of Christ and fully commanded in the Great Commission, we see the beginnings of our baptism here. Because here, in Christ's baptism, there's more than just water. Right? The Word is connected to the water. The Word made flesh is right there in the water. He's wading through it. He's dripping wet in it. And so this water, combined with the Word, has, as it says in John, become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's with this water that Christ sanctifies his bride, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, according to Ephesians 5. And not only this, but the baptism that we witness here in Matthew chapter 3 isn't just one that's done in repentance for the remission of sins. It's not John's baptism. This is the first holy baptism. Because it's one that's done in the name of the Father who split open the sky and spoke. It's done in the name of the Son who's standing there and soaked with us. And it's done in the name of the Spirit who descended on a, like, like a dove and lit upon Jesus. This is a Trinitarian baptism, the very baptism that Jesus commands us to be connected to in the Great Commission. You see, when we are baptized into the name of our triune God, all that happened to Jesus now happens to us. This is what we hear in Romans. He tells us this. He says, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We are baptized. We're connected to Jesus. His suffering was our suffering. His death was our death. His resurrection will be our resurrection as well. So on the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid for your sins and mine. By his being baptized, he identified himself as your substitute even as your righteousness before God. Jesus didn't need to be baptized for himself, right? He had no sin to, to give an answer for. But he was baptized for you. He was baptized that you would not rest on your own doings for salvation, but on him and on him alone. That you would rest your hope and your confidence in Christ and on no one else. You know, in God's kingdom... There's not going to be a game like one of these things is not like the other. And that's because in our baptisms, 
We are all made to be like Jesus. We're all covered in the robes of righteousness that he gives to us, in the righteousness that he fulfilled, in the righteousness that he delivers by God's grace. The words of the Father to Jesus at his baptism are the very same words he speaks to us in ours. You are my son. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Will you pray with me? Gracious, gracious God, in Jesus' baptism, you came to share our life and to deliver us from sin and death. And we thank you for the gift of our baptisms, where you unite us to your son, Jesus, to his death and his resurrection. Because of the faith you give to us through the water and through the word, we are confident and assured that we are your beloved children. May that comfort also encourage us to love others and to serve them well. In Jesus' name.